This week on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. Four of the eight quarterfinalists are set in the New Japan Cup. Who's still alive to face Jay White at G1 Supercard? We will break down the early round matches and tell you how our brackets look. And we tell you why the wrestlers aren't the only ones having an impact on the results. A certain referee in colored shoes has been a big part of the tournament story. WWE Fastlane seemed to get off course story-wise, but did the quality of wrestling save the last pay-per-view on the road to WrestleMania? We're also on the road to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn, and the card is taking shape with some surprising results. We will discuss that and share your feedback and opinions next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on NJPW, AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now. Here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, Paul. Here I am. There you are. (laughs) And here we are, talking wrestling like we always love to do every week with you guys. And we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about New Japan, as we said in our tease. I'm really, really excited to get down into the details about the New Japan Cup Tournament. I've really liked it so far, and we're also going to share your thoughts in the second segment of the show. But we're also going to break down Fastlane and some other WWE stuff when we talk NXT as well. But first, let's talk about some plugs, including this delicious beer we're drinking. Yes, uh, St. Arnold Beer, our sponsor. I am having a art car, and of course you are having the Raspberry AF. Delicious. Yes, it is. It is. And we also want to thank... Uh, MyBookie.ag, remember to sign up and use the promo code KICKIT. How about some social media? Where can people find you and us? Well, you can find me <laughs> on social media at SuperKickingIt, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T. And if you follow me there, you can participate in a lot of polls and questions that I put out on Twitter, and your answers could be read on this podcast. And actually, we're going to be starting something new. We're going to be asking if you want to turn in an mp3 version of your comment or question you can do so in the future by emailing us at superkickingit at gmail.com yeah that way uh our our listeners and our viewers can uh send in mp3s or i guess they could send in a video version if they wanted for uh to see themselves on the youtube version of the show uh either way get to hear some different voices on the show because i know everybody's tired of hearing mine so (laughs) Also, if you keep tuned to... No, no denial there. <laughs> I just ignored you. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you want to keep tuned to my Twitter, you get to have the latest updates about my new show I'm going to start. It's a live show every week called Kelsey Likes. The first episode, you guys voted that it should be about 90s Nickelodeon, and I'm learning so many interesting facts that I think you guys will enjoy on that show. I'll give you a little sneak peek of one of the facts I learned that I'm going to share on that show. It's basically that... Artie, the strongest man in the world, from Pete and Pete, was this was played by the same actor who played the Wiz from Seinfeld. So he goes, I'm the Wiz. I am the Wiz. I didn't know it was the same guy. I just knew that the Wiz guy was familiar. I had no idea it was the same actor that played Artie. I know one of those references. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but also follow us at Two Faced Pod, T W O F A C E D P O D. There'll be polls there as well. 
But now it's time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news, and developments. It's time for headlines. And we are going to start with the New Japan Cup. As we record this, we are completely caught up through the first six nights of the show. Uh, So far, I think uh, the tournament's been pretty interesting. Uh, Some of the expected people have moved on, but there have been a couple of surprises as well. And speaking of surprises, here's a surprise. We're going to start by talking about Yoshihashi. Yeah, I mean, that might surprise some people even us, because we don't usually talk too much about Yoshihashi, but I predicted in my brackets that he would go pretty far in this tournament, and I was basing that on the fact that he had been gone with an injury, and I think they're trying to kind of build him up and trying to make him a prominent person, because for so long, he would always lose, especially when it came to big matches. So I think having him go decently far into this tournament I don't think he's going all the way, of course, but having him go a decent length into the tournament in general, I think will do wonders for him and his place in the card. So he's into the quarterfinals after wins against Nakanishi and a surprise round of 16 participant in Chase Owens, who had upset Juice Robinson. But I want to talk a little bit about the Nakanishi match in particular. I didn't know a lot about him uh, other than the name and that he's a legend, but I maybe have seen him once, you know, so... I didn't know what to expect, but I thought he was really good. I thought the crowd was so behind him. I I thought it really made the match really interesting. And then, of course, there was the Don Callis factor. Don Callis was so funny because he kept comparing Nakanishi to all these different objects on the face of the earth. He he compared him to an elephant twice, once saying he was like an elephant on a tightrope. He compared him to a, a bear twice, a brick wall, a cat, and then he said when he fell on Yoshihashi, it was like a building falling on him. So all sorts of weird, goofy references. I noticed it early in the match, and that's when I was like, I got to start writing this down and see how many objects he compares Nakanishi to. <laughs> and yeah, Nakanishi is massive. So I, I think Callus was on the right track there <laughs> comparing him to all these big objects and things. But it made for a little funny tidbit in the match, little a little Easter egg, kind of, <laughs> since we started keeping track of all the different times he did. I wanted you to write down every single phrase, right. but we didn't. We only wrote down one phrase. We're, well, we were too far in at that point. We would have had to go back and, and re-watch. Uh, that was entertaining. Uh, tai Chi won that night, as we mentioned, Chase Owens, and then uh, Ishii versus Nagata, which you want to talk about a little later in the show. But uh, that got us into night two, where uh, Archer, Nichols, Osprey and Okada won. Uh, quick note, we'll get to Osprey because we're going to talk about him and both of his matches in a moment. But a note that you wrote down in the Okada-Elgin match, which I thought was an interesting take about Michael Elgin. Yeah, I feel like it was really random to see him in this tournament. He's been so touch and go with his involvement in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, we do know he had that whole controversy he was involved mm-hmm. with in 2018 with people especially uh, this particular woman in his wrestling school. And so it really looked bad on him. I don't know the full story, but yeah, people have been kind of down on him since then. So we haven't seen that much of him in a lot of American promotions, but more surprising, not a lot in New Japan either. He's been involved here and there. Like he was in, I think he was in the G1. I can't remember. Yeah, and you know, he did... 
He had, trimmed up and he looked really good. He had the never open weight uh, title for a little while. Oh yes, that's what he was involved with. But, and he looked really trim too, and like he was working out and dieting. But he did have the injury too, which they they detailed, which was kind of gruesome that one of his ligaments oh, was in yeah. the wrong direction. I think so, it was part of his knee. Yeah, so I'm hopeful that's more it, um, because we do like him. He's really good as an athletic big man and. Uh, like to see him kind of get back to where he was a couple of years ago as a performer, if if nothing else. But certainly a first-round exit doesn't help things. But you knew that was coming. He was going against Okada. Yeah, I mean, when I saw him against Okada, I knew it would be a great match. But I kind of knew that Elgin wouldn't walk away with the victory. Because, I mean, if you don't have Okada advancing, that's kind of a mistake. And as they said on commentary, Okada hasn't been involved in many New Japan Cup tournaments because he's been the champion during a lot of them. So I think he's only been in, what, they said one or two other New Japan Cup tournaments. Yeah, yeah. I think he had, coming in, he he was four and one all time in yeah. New Japan Cup, which shows you how little he's been in it. So to bring my point all the way back around and to finish what I was saying, I think that Elgin isn't as prominent as he used to be. He kind of has gone down, especially in Western people's eyes. I believe I just feel like people don't really think of him very much anymore. So it was good to see him have a good match because I thought it really was decent. But, yeah, no surprise that he lost, as I said. No. Uh, moving on to night three, Taguchi was a victor as well as uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, the night, the match of the night uh, of the first round, really, was Naito versus Ibushi. Uh, but that isn't the match we're really going to talk about on night three. The one that was kind of a, a surprisingly really good match was Tanahashi against a guy named Shota Umino. A young lion who really showed up. He really delivered. I definitely think he made the most of his opportunity because let's just call it what it is. This was a huge opportunity on an insanely big platform for him. Kevin Kelly on commentary even said, you know, New Japan officials think very highly of Shoda. And then he also said it was the first time in the New Japan. Pan Cup tournament that a Young Lion theme was played, aka the first time a Young Lion has been in the tournament as basically a full-fledged Young Lion. He's still wearing the black trunks. He's still coming out to that theme as Kelly referenced. So I think all that said a lot of what they must think of him backstage. Well, and you know, you kind of thought going into it, it maybe it was going to be like a squash match. You know, all right, we give the Young Lion this honor of being in the tournament kind of thing, but Tanahashi will dispense of him in two minutes. It was the opposite. Shota really showed out, and the crowd started chanting his name. They were really behind him. Uh, he had a couple near falls, and, you know, I, I don't think anybody thought he was going to win, but it kind of gave that illusion at least until Tanahashi hit the clo- clover leaf at the end. But it does make us want to see more of Shota down the road, which obviously I think we will. I'm really excited for the future of New Japan because – it's funny that they put him against Tanahashi. He kind of reminds me of a Tanahashi type of wrestler. Very kind of smooth and standard, but delivers these moves, these standard moves, in a very graceful way. Much like Okada as well. So I think the future is bright for young New Japan stars if this guy is in the new class. I'm really excited about what he could do. And Nabushi won a, a, a great match against Naito, but... Uh... Again, it's kind of surprising that we were talking about Tanahashi and Umino, and we'll be talking about them more. Night 4 started off with a kind of good idea matches maybe for the next round. 
You had Maccabee going in against Colt Cabana. And in the other part of that bracket, you had Yano. So you could have had Yano versus Maccabee, which would have been obviously interesting because they are, you know, uh, six-man tag champs, and they have a history. They have a history working together and kind of a history against each other, too. So I thought that would have been interesting. So I picked wrong. I picked Maccabee to lose... I mean, I'm sorry, I picked Makabe to win against Cabana, not because I thought Cabana is not a great wrestler and deserves to go forward. I just thought it'd be an interesting match to see Makabe go against Yanu with all that history, as we said. But I think it's going to be just as interesting. I mean, maybe by the time you listen to this podcast, you might have already seen this match, but at this point, we have not seen it. I can't wait to see Cole Cabana versus Yanu, because that's going to be just as interesting since they had some interesting interactions during that uh, Ring of Honor show in Japan. Right, right. During Honor Rising, they had the, they were on opposite sides. Then the next night, they were tag team partners. And, of course, with Cabana and Yanu, there was all sorts of hijinks. Of course, Cabana hit the flying butthole as yes. Rocky. I mean, I guess, I guess we had never heard that before, which is kind of... He's surpri- done it before. <laughs> They've called it flying a-hole. Yeah. Other places. It was just weird to hear Rocky say that out loud. <laughs> yeah, it was just, especially butthole is so weird. <laughs> Such a weird word that he used in an actual official commentary yeah. type of... As an, yeah, an, an analysis of a move. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, type of setting. It was weird. Suzuki, a great physical win over Kojima, but maybe the best Suzuki uh, moment happened in the tag team matches on the first night uh, as he approached Don Callis. Oh my god. So he's approaching Callis and Callis like sinks underneath the table and he's got his cell phone like blocking his face and he's like ah, ah, ah. I'm like he was like ah, ah, I can't even do it. It was really high pitched. It was ridiculous and Kevin Kelly was like what are you doing? This is absurd. You sound like you went into another octave there. It was insane it was i laughed so hard it was pretty darn funny uh sonata won the other match that night the night five yoshihashi as we mentioned advances will now face ishii who uh beat tai chi which you actually thought tai chi might win that because he's been getting a push as well yeah i had picked tai chi and yoshihashi to get pretty far and to eventually face each other but of course Tai Chi fell to Ishii, and now I'm really, really second-guessing my pick of Yoshihashi going forward, because originally in my bracket, I had Tai Chi facing Yoshihashi and Yoshihashi winning. Now it's going to be Ishii versus Yoshihashi, and I just don't see a scenario where Yoshihashi's going to beat flipping Ishii. Ishii's brutal. Ishii's insane. Ishii has gone toe-to-toe with the likes of Kenny Omega and flipping Nagata, who's a legend, which we'll talk about a little bit later, that match that I loved. But man, them going against each other, does Yoshihashi really have a chance? I know, I mean, at least I think I know he's getting a push, and they're wanting to make him more prominent, but so much so that they have him go over Ishii, who has been a really steadfast, prominent person, really upper-tier, mid-card guy, who's been really, really good for New Japan Pro Wrestling as a whole, and he's done traditionally very well in these tournaments. So, I don't know, just to see him fall to Yoshihashi, I don't see that happening, so I'm questioning my own flipping bracket. I thought it was interesting in that Tai Chi-Ishii match, uh, as long as they've been around, it was only the uh, third time they've ever met and the first time they've met in 10 years. And uh, they put on a great match. Crowd was definitely into that. Tai Chi, another good showing in that, though. I was going to say, Tai Chi surprised me. I thought he did very well. And, you know, we said this the last time Tai Chi had a match. So 
what is this new trend now? Us complimenting Tai Chi. I don't like it. I'm still mad at Tai Chi because, of course, he had to lose, and now my bracket's in danger because it's Ishii versus Yoshiyashi. So I still can end up saying, darn you, Tai Chi, on the podcast, and it's relevant. So although I'm praising his wrestling, I'm still saying, man, you're the worst Tai Chi, in another way, at least. Then night six, we'll get to uh, Osprey in just a moment, but uh, the other match on night six was Okada beating Nichols. Nichols, of course, uh, a new player in New Japan coming over from NXT. He was a part of TM61. A new old player. Right, right. He's back after a number of years, obviously, from being in NXT, as you referenced. And he's going to be in chaos. But one thing we noticed right off with him, he's got to develop a little personality. There's no play into the crowd, but there's no anything. There's no screaming at the opponent. You know, Ishii doesn't play to the crowd, but he screams at his opponent and intimidates him. Nichols has got to develop something because the crowd certainly wasn't invested in him in any way. When you're in the ring across from Okada, you know, that's a hard opponent to be in the ring with because Okada, although he kind of has a stoic facial expression, he's got a lot of personality with little subtle things he does. He really does have a big, big persona. And you might not think that if you're a casual fan just getting into New Japan Pro Wrestling, but trust us, Okada has like this cockiness that's like really subtle and then he brings it out sometimes, especially in big matches. And he also just has like a a coolness about him. So to me, when you're across the ring from him, it's hard to to measure up and to stand out against somebody like that. But I kind of told you during that match, man, Nichols kind of looks miserable. (laughs) I'm sure it's not on purpose, but I don't know, he doesn't look that happy, and maybe that's part of his character, but his character doesn't seem very defined at all, and that's why I thought he just looked upset to be there, that it wasn't part of his character. But like you said, hopefully we see more and more from him going forward, because he could be somebody great um, if they spend time developing his character. And we wrap up night six with uh, Will Ospreay beating Lance Archer. We'll talk about that in a minute, but on night two he took on Bad Luck Valet and Great match by him, and we love talking Will Ospreay. We do. He's one of our favorites ever. He's so good, and what he's one of the best at is selling. And I know I've said that before, but it bears repeating because it's true. He's one of the best sellers in the world. And against these big guys, that stuff is important. But it says a lot that the company believes so much in him that they let him go over on such big heavyweights. And it also shows that he's serious about what he says about changing up the never open weight title and making it more prominent and also making it a title that can be defended against heavyweights, not just junior weights. Because technically, Osprey is still considered a junior weight. But he's having these great matches against heavyweights, and I love it. Just shows how serious he is and how, obviously, in the future with his defense of that title he can go against anybody and him performing the Stormbreaker on Archer just blew my mind I loved it yeah and uh you know even going back to Honor Rising he did it to Jeff Cobb so great things by him but it's also funny watching a Will Ospreay match with you because you are so emotionally invested when Fale got a near fall you flinched then in the Archer match 
when you thought Archer was going to win, you squealed no and then was pumping your fist. And you're <laughs> just so excited to watching Will Ospreay. He's my favorite. He really, really is. And I just couldn't believe it. I was jumping up and down and being like, oh, my God, he did it. After he did the Stormbreaker on Archer, I was so pumped up. Because, yes, he used the turnbuckle a little bit for help and leverage and getting him up. But he took a few steps with Archer's weight on his shoulder. So it wasn't just with the help of the turnbuckle. He did move around with Archer's weight. I thought that was super impressive. And it really shows that he's more than just a junior heavyweight. He's more than just a high flyer because, as we've seen time and time again, his promos are good too. Mm -hmm. So not only is he great at high flying, great at wrestling, and he's kind of a he's doing more than just flying in his matches. He's kind of trying to do a little bit more hard hitting stuff, which I like too. But even in his interviews, they're they're great. They're filled with great promo type of answers and. He had a really good recent interview with Kevin Kelly. It was on a video from New Japan's YouTube channel. The video was called Road to G1 Supercard, Will Ospreay. And they did it at a bar called Bar at MSG, which is actually in Roppongi, not in MSG. So it was kind of interesting. It was kind of weird because Will Ospreay was drinking wine while Kevin Kelly was interviewing him. And they were doing it like a bartender and a guest at the bar type of thing. Kind of neat little style there. But... Osprey was basically saying, I really, really want to be in the main event at G1 Supercard. So it really makes his matches in the tournament seem really important after I listened to that interview. Then he also said, I care about what everyone thinks that buys a ticket to see me. I care about what they think because once upon a time, that was me buying a ticket to see somebody. And I want them to have a good experience. And I want them to think that I'm, you know, worthy of of a main event spot at G1 Supercard and worthy of facing heavyweights, et cetera, et cetera. Just his emotional speeches are really, really good. Well, Osprey looked awesome. Uh, look, Lance Archer looked really good in that that uh, match in night six. Back to night two really quick. There was a little bit of controversy. Spad like Fale's shoulder clearly was not even on the mat on the pinfall, but whatever. But that does bring us to an interesting point. A sidebar in the New Japan Cup has been Red Shoes. Yes. He has been definitely involved. I wrote down that he was involved in three of the four matches on night one. And Callis had a very interesting comment just to show you how kind of integral Red Shoes was to the match. He messed up part of it where he wasn't paying attention. Right. And then Red Shoes gets his shirt grabbed by Yoshihashi. And Callis said later he got his shirt grabbed and he sold it like he'd been shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... Three out of four matches in night one. Uh, night two, he was involved in that Osprey Fale match. Uh, he was a big part of the ZSJ Evil match. Uh, and then, oh, and the Tai Chi uh, Ishii match where tai Chi, tai Chi shoved him in front of Ishii. So, kind of interesting that Red Shoes, who is apparently officiating all of these matches because I think he's done every match. Maybe one he didn't, but... Yeah, he does all the... Like, he does the biggest matches, so anything that's kind of, like, But usually that's two or three, maybe, but, you know, those first few nights, there were four main matches, and he was doing all four of them, and he was uh, certainly a part of all of them, so... People get mad at referees being involved in the match. I've heard people kind of criticize, actually, specifically New Japan Pro Wrestling for doing that. They're like, oh, it makes the ref look dumb, and it, it kind of demeans the whole match. I don't mind it, and it's happening quite a lot in this tournament, though, I will say, more than I expected. Yeah. But Red Shoes is a ref that, even though that happens, I still don't think 
any less of him. I just like him so much. He's so expressive. No. But it does kind of make him look silly, especially when Callus, like you said, said that comment about he just gets his shirt grabbed, and it was obviously <laughs> just just that. A shirt grab. A yeah. very simple grab. And he acted like he'd been, <laughs> like, seriously injured. Oh, he was cowered down in the corner. It was it was ridiculous how, it was. how he acted. So... As we mentioned, as we record this, one side of the brackets quarterfinals are set. Uh, I have Ishii still alive, but I had him going against Juice. Of course, now that's going to be against Yoshihashi. Uh, but I have Ishii winning that next match, so uh, I'm in good shape there. You really need Yoshihashi because you predicted him into the semifinals. I can't believe I did this looking back because I'd rather see Ishii versus Okada, but right now it looks like I could have Yoshihashi versus Okada. That's what I had picked. So I don't know. I'm I'm questioning my own bracket now. Uh, we both had Okada and Osprey advancing to the quarterfinals. The difference is you've got Okada winning. I've got Osprey going to the semifinals. On the other side, we both lost Makabe, so... Uh, we both had him going to the quarterfinals, yeah. or, or excuse me, I did. You did not. You had uh, Yano going to the quarterfinals, so you've still got a chance there. Uh, the bottom half of that bracket, we both had Suzuki winning, and both of us had him advancing against the next opponent. Uh, you lost, and that you had Goto. I had uh, uh, Sonata winning. So then the top half of the bracket, we're both in good shape. Tanahashi, Taguchi, Ibushi, and ZSJ, both winners. And we both have Tanahashi going against Ibushi in the quarterfinals. And both of us have Ibushi going on to the semifinals. So brackets are still in pretty good shape, but a couple pivotal matches coming up, uh, especially for you if you can get Yanu a victory over Colt Cabana, which I think is uh, very possible. <laughs> uh, but I don't... Yeah, because I want to see Yanu and Suzuki face off. As we said last week, they've got a history that really stretches back a far way. Yanu always gets the best of Suzuki. Not every single time, but most of the time. So I, that's why I think they're going to have a meet-up again, because they'll play that up on commentary. It'll be fun, but it'll also be brutal in a way. So I think that's the way to go. Well, the other interesting thing about Colt Cabana, and I just thought of this just now, uh, because he's wrestling Saturday morning, I guess he's not going to be at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view on Friday night. Oh, I guess as, a, as an announcer, I guess it'll be uh, Caprice joining uh, Ian Riccoboni. I didn't even think of that, that, but that's a good point. And it's a good segue, because now we're going to talk Ring of Honor. <laughs> How about that? That works out well. Uh, Ring of Honor, 17th anniversary show in Las Vegas, uh, Friday night. And uh, make sure to check out Kelsey afterwards, after the show Friday night, because you're going to do a Periscope, correct? Again, stay tuned to my Twitter at SuperKickingIt, because I'll be going live on Periscope right after it's over to talk a little bit about the show, what I thought, my favorite parts, and uh, to get your opinions, too. Good card. We were going through the card. Uh, we obviously talked last week uh, about Jay Lethal and Matt Taven and the, the pinnacle, the build-up to that with God, that video series. That was well done. That that video really has me hyped for that match. They've been building it for months and months and months. God, for so long. Once you've got a story going on that long, I think it's going to deliver and be really good. Uh, Jeff Cobb versus Shane Taylor. That's going to be a really interesting Physical, big guy, but uh, both are real agile big guys, too, obviously. Lots of people sleep on Shane Taylor, but you shouldn't because he's really, really talented. We had the pleasure of interviewing him last year before Super Card of Honor. Not only is he agile and really athletic, but he's super nice, too. <laughs> Although he's playing a bad guy, which I love. So uh, Marty Skrull versus Kenny King as they position themselves for that uh, title shot against whoever wins between Lethal and Taven. But... I think the match everybody seems to be talking about and looking forward to 
PCO and Brody King versus uh, the Briscoes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's <laughs> going to be amazing. They had some interactions over the past couple of months, and I've loved every single interaction they've had. It's been great. And this all-out brawl, I mean, I don't know what else to call it. It's going to be a brawl. It's going to be violent. It's going to be insane. It's going to deliver. Yeah, I think, and I think this show is going to deliver. I think a lot of good matches. I mean, you even go down the card, Bandito versus Roosh. Uh, Tracy Williams and Mark Haskins versus TK Orion and Vinny Marsalia, or as we joked in New Japan, Vinny Marsangaria, I believe oh, yes. is how it was pronounced. And Gresham versus Silas Young. That should be amazing. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. I used to criticize Young a little bit because sometimes I'd notice a few botches he would do, but more and more lately I've been liking mm-hmm. his matches, yeah. and they've really delivered. So I, I think that could be a really good match. Don't sleep on that one. I'm sure that'll be early on in the night, but I still think it could be great. And, of course, we've talked a lot about Bandito, how amazing he is as an athlete, and versus Roosh, man, they're going to tear the house down. It could steal the show. I don't know, because they're such great athletes, and that's all it takes really to kind of take a good match on paper to make it an amazing, one of the best matches of the night type of deal. Let's uh, move to the fast lane, WWE fast lane, and we always joke about sometimes it's not good to watch New Japan the same day as the WWE pay-per-view because the styles are different. Sometimes New Japan's more exciting. The way that pay-per-view started fast lane and the disjointed storylines and what was going on and... Uh, it really was setting up to be a really bad pay-per-view. I couldn't take it. I was like, man, usually I like different styles because it makes things a little more entertaining. If you're sick of WWE, you could tune into a different promotion or vice versa. But we had been watching so much New Japan Cup, and the match quality is so high. And then Fastlane comes along, and the first few matches, I'm like, I can't get into (laughs) this, and I don't know why. Now, a lot of people loved Shane turning on The Miz, and that was early on, so they were like, this is great, I like this story. I thought it was okay, but we saw that coming yeah, from that, a mile yeah. away. Yeah, that was uh, pretty plain to see. But then there was just the odd handling of stuff, you know, the Kofi Kingston screw job, and that, you know, there's going to be a triple threat, oh, but you're not in it, you know. Why? I, why, why do it that way? Just I, I guess they needed another match to fill out the pay-per-view or whatever, but... To me, it would have just made more sense if Vince said, not only are you not in the show, you're not even wrestling tonight, and banished him to a skybox to watch the show or something. We've seen that in the past. That kind of thing would have made more sense to me. Me too. (laughs) Instead of just letting him get destroyed by the bar. Yeah. I just don't see how... I know they're trying to make him like an ultimate underdog type of situation, kind of like they did with Daniel Bryan in WrestleMania 30. And a lot of people are comparing this to that. Yeah, but... This is so organic. You don't need to overcomplicate it. Like you said, the skybox idea is brilliant. Have him just looking really sad because the other day he looked like he was about to cry right. on TV. Right. He could lo- have that same look looking from afar during that title match from the skybox. That would have been awesome. And that would have been great cutaways and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to do much of anything. But like you said, maybe they needed another match. To me, it was all just ridiculous. You'd still paint the McMahons as villains if you made him watch from afar. And... I don't know. To me, it would kind of preserve Kofi's momentum a little bit because I don't like seeing seeing him get beat up. I really don't. Well, and then the other convoluted storyline, booking, however you want to put it, we turned on the pre-show a little late. And as that match between uh, the, who was it, uh, Biggie and, uh, and Woods against Shinsuke and Rusev, that happened, and I'm like, 
I'm like, I don't know how there's still time for Andrade and Mysterio. Maybe we missed it. Now, two hours before the show, that was still booked on the pre-show. They turn around and decide to have a fatal four-way on the main show. And the funniest part about that is that was the best match of the night, or arguably the best match, definitely top two, as they end up moving Andrade and Mysterio in with uh, Truth and Samoa Joe in a U.S. title match, and that was a great match. That was my favorite match of the night. In fact, we've been writing down what we think could be the best match of every show we watch, just so we could keep a running total of our best matches of the year. So we put one from each show, but we didn't agree. I said it was the U.S. match, which was my favorite of the show. You said it was the main event, which was good, too. Right. Yeah, I mean, they were both really good. Well, the championship match, I should right, say. Right. I don't think it went on last. Right. The Shield was the main event. Right. But um, both matches were great. But I really loved the U.S. match because, well, one, Andrade and Rey Mysterio have great chemistry. Mm -hmm. And Joe reigned victorious, so I'm happy. Yeah. But also, it just and Truth didn't hurt it too much. No. I'm not the hugest fan of R-Truth, but he is pretty, pretty good. He delivers. He always delivers. He's always really good for the company. But I just think they all had great chemistry and lots of high-flying stuff. Like, there was one point where Rey Mysterio got so much air from that turnbuckle, and he jumped on top. I forgot whose shoulders it was. It was insane. Oh, yeah, he did the Hurricane Rana. Basically, Andrade was on R-True's shoulders, and that's who he did the Hurricane Rana off of. He, like, jumped, like, 10 feet in the air, it looked like. Yeah. It was probably, like, four, four or five no. feet, but still. No, it looked awesome. And then that... That bulldozing uh, dive through the ropes by Samoa Joe, who, you know, I've said for months uh, I love. And I'm glad he's finally got a title. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they go with him with the title. Yeah, and I think it was interesting. It was almost like they were pulling out all the stops because they wanted to prove they were worthy of a spot on the main show versus the pre-show. They wanted to show, so you were going to have us on the pre-show. Let's show you guys why we deserve to be on the main show all along. And they really delivered. And I think that's what, when we were done watching the match, that's how I thought. They definitely deserved to be on the main show the whole time. Uh, women's tag team match, uh, Bailey and the Boss versus Nia and Tamina. But, like, the biggest storyline out of that afterwards was the involvement of Beth Phoenix and, and Natty and working together and... Is Beth Phoenix back? <laughs> I would really love to see Beth and Natty tag together, even at Mania. Now, that might set up a triple threat between three tag teams because I can't see them leaving Nia off of the no. Mania card. But, man, I would have been fine if it was just Bailey and Boss versus Beth Phoenix and Natty. That would have been awesome. But, yeah, it's probably more likely to be a triple tag team scenario but yeah. still still more entertaining i think than just having a standard rematch between naya and tamina and bailey and boss yeah i mean i think it'll be maybe a triple threat but if it did end up being beth and natty then i think they got to give serious consideration to having naya face oscar for the smackdown women's title because as we've mentioned that's of wasteland all of a sudden with uh with becky and charlotte both going off to ronda's belt I mean, is she going to go against Mandy Rose again at WrestleMania? Oh. I can't imagine that. So no. we'll see. So I just alluded to it. The most convoluted storyline of the last month has finally resolved itself. Becky Lynch, surprise, surprise, is in the main event at WrestleMania. But even better, it was I predicted exactly how it would happen. You did. You really <laughs> I, did. Before the match started, I said Ronda Rousey's going to get involved and she's going to attack Becky and get her disqualified, and get her in, and that's exactly what they did. Which made sense, because it was so stupid that Becky was going to fight Charlotte on one leg. You know, yeah. <laughs> It was one thing at the Royal Rumble, but 
you know, for an extended match, Charlotte Flair is one of the best in the business. She's going to lose to Becky Lynch on one leg. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make much sense, and I'm just ready for them to get to Mania and drop all this silly storytelling because I think it's way more complicated, just like the Kofi thing, just more complicated than it had to be. It was already set up and ready to go. Lots of people hate the idea of it because it turned into a triple threat. That's not why I dislike it. I dislike this whole injury angle. I never understood it from the beginning. Becky having an injured knee never made her more sympathetic. It actually made her more ridiculous because she refused to get checked out by a doctor. Um, but then the McMahon screwed her, so she, she looked like she was in the right for not even trying to get checked out. But right. still, the injury angle just never helped anything. You could have had her you know, just kind of playing against the authority. Although I think that was unnecessary too. There was already a story and already heat between Rhonda and Becky. Just let that develop. And they could have still put Charlotte in without any of those shenanigans. So to me, you could have just had it a simple build. You could have just had the simple storytelling, but they didn't go that way. Well, and further screwing up uh, a personality, the main event became a triple threat with Mustafa Ali mysteriously inserted at the last minute into this. And look, I have said I love Mustafa Ali. They made a mess of this. I believe that was your exact words, that they made a mess of Mustafa Ali by putting him in this and the crowd hating him, and they generally love him. He had so much positive momentum before he got that concussion. He was doing so well. He was getting cheered. He was like the underdog, much like Kofi kind of moved into that position now. But it was it was Ali. And one could argue, well, yeah, he's just, you know, taking his rightful spot like Kofi wanted to. Because he got kind of taken out by injury. He wasn't able to be in that match, and Kofi was instead. But even that doesn't make sense. They basically messed up his momentum. He actually got flippin' booed. Yeah. Someone that was getting cheered, who was a huge underdog, is getting booed because people wanted Kofi, and they didn't understand why Ali was brought back right then, and that's how I felt. I don't mind Ali coming back into the picture, right. but hold him off until it makes sense. Imagine the pop he would have gotten if they just would have held off. They rushed it. They rushed his return. It didn't make sense. I know you want him involved in the mix right before Mania. You want to reward his hard work, and he had been so over. Maybe they didn't expect him to get that reaction. But when Kofi's so hot, how couldn't you not respect? Right. You know, expect that? It's insane, and I don't like this whole face Kevin Owens either. No. Give me heel Kevin Owens any day. I like that a lot better. And the whole story is just getting weirder and weirder by the day. Again, they could have held off on Ali and really just kept his momentum. Instead, they went the opposite direction. And I think he really suffered because of this match. I mean, he won them over at certain points, but really mm. not really completely. Well, uh, I'll get to that point in a second. But I did mention during the match to you, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton should always be heels. They should never be faces. They they work much better as heels. But yeah, Mustafa Ali did amazing stuff in this match, and the crowd w was either booing or apathetic. I mean, he or did, chanting Kofi. He he did a 450 onto the apron. Remember that crazy move? Yeah. No pop from the crowd at all. I mean, it was like it was like he he had a, a, a performed a headlock. You know, that's yeah. how apathetic they were to it. The finish was great too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Brian kneel, uh, kneeing Ali out of midair. Yes. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. So, great match. I put that one down as a potential match of the year, at least from that show. 
You you chose the U.S. title match. Joe's my guy. I have to go with Joe. Uh, all in all, it, it you know again the wrestling kind of saved that pay per view because the storytelling was a mess. <laughs> at least the wrestling towards the end because it started shaky for me. Yeah. At least personally. So uh, then we move on to Raw and SmackDown. A few highlights, not much. I'm kind of upset about Lashley getting back the IC title. I feel like I hate when a title flip-flops. Other people said, well, at least the U.S. title didn't flip-flop. I was like, yeah, I guess. And maybe this is a way to make Finn come out as the demon to face Lashley in a rematch at Mania, which, yeah, I guess. But you could have had him come out as the demon for another reason. I don't know. I don't like it. I don't want to see another <laughs> Lashley-Finn match. Well, and I wanted Finn to be a longer champion. Yeah. Well, you're going to see it, I think. Uh, we talk about it seemingly every week like we talk about Will Ospreay. Ronda Rousey, tremendous on the mic. <laughs> People are saying the opposite on social media. You and I are in I know. the minority. She was great, great heel work on the mic again. People don't like it. They think her heel work's ridiculous. I disagree respectfully, of course, because we could all agree to disagree. That's my big... Yes, I kind know. of mantra. <laughs> I know I say it every week, but it's true. And I really do love her heel work. I think it's great, and I think it's organic, kind of, because she's got a fighter's personality. She was an actual fighter, and so they're kind of tough, you know? And that's what I feel like she really is in real life. Yeah, she's got that awesome smile when she's a baby face that is lovable, but she's really easy to dislike, too, when <laughs> she gets in that heel mood. Right. And I just love the way she talks. No, I think she's been great, and I, I, I think her mic skills have vastly improved. I think she's done a good job. Of course, the big promo was the uh, Triple H, Batista, and Kelsey, I, I've got to ask, is this what you want? <laughs> so tell what me do you what want? You want. So tell me what you want. What you really, really want. Tell everybody about the video if, if you haven't seen it on, online. It's tremendous. I'm sure many people have seen it. It's making the rounds on social media, especially on Twitter, which is where I saw it. So they've got Batista and Triple H cut back and forth. Tell me what you want. And then they play the Spice Girls. What you really, really want. Tell me what you want. What do you want? <laughs> It was it was great. great. Look, the promo was good. Oh. Batista slobbering all over himself. I made a joke that everybody in the first row better have ponchos on because he was spitting all over the place. He was everyone's all... <laughs> hating on my boy Batista. Uh, looks like it's gonna be a uh, a uh, falls count anywhere type of match uh, at WrestleMania, and that'll be exciting to see, of course, as well. And uh, speaking of falls counting anywhere. Uh, good falls count match between uh, Ambrose and McIntyre uh, ending the show. Almost as humorous, though, was uh, the brutality, but in the background watching Renee yell. <laughs> yeah, at the very, very end, when they're doing things kind of near the electric digital board, you could see Renee just solely focusing on Dean, which, of course, is her real-life husband. <laughs> so she's just looking at Ambrose. And there's this one part where she's covering her face right. in fear. Like, she doesn't want to see anymore. It's great. And it's subtle. I don't think it was storyline because the camera wasn't focused on Renee. They didn't cut away to her. No, she you was, like, I... down the stairs. Like, yeah. you had to look for it. But we were looking We were looking for it. Yeah. And it was, it was funny to watch. It really, really was. And I think that was one of the best parts of the match. But it was a little distracting at points because I just kept looking at her, looking at Ambrose. <laughs> and I was like, oh, she really cares. But I like that match. And I think that's one of the things that helped save Raw because I feel like this role wasn't very entertaining yeah uh quickly SmackDown. uh the promo between uh aj styles and uh randy orton generated a lot of discussion on online uh you didn't think it was as great as everybody hyped it up to be but thought it was good 
nonetheless. I did think it was good, and I think that people would kill Ronda for making a flub, but Orton made a flub here, and I love Hill Orton. I'm a huge Orton fan. I even tweeted the shirt I was wearing, which you said before the pay-per-view. I had a shirt on that was Randy Orton RKOing a spaceman, and you said, why don't you wear a shirt of someone who's actually in the pay-per-view? <laughs> and I was like, I'm wearing this Randy Orton shirt. I love this shirt. He's flipping RKOing a spaceman, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, he actually is on the pay-per-view. Which was a ridiculous moment, by the way, because he comes out and blindsides Elias, right? Right. And AJ Styles just happens to be right there to go attack Randy Orton. Like, he had been sitting there the whole night yeah. waiting for Randy Orton to attack Elias. It was just the timing of it. I know you got to suspend disbelief, but it was so ridiculous. It, it is. I mean, at least AJ Styles should have come running down the aisle or something. It was like he was sitting in the front row going, okay, whenever Randy Orton attacks Elias, I'm going to get him. Maybe he just knew <laughs> of Orton's heelish ways and expected it. Yeah. But, yeah, the timing was a little suspicious. Like, it was kind of easy to see that it's all bull. And, of course, next week on SmackDown, big gauntlet match for Kofi Kingston as he's going to have to go through the bar, Samoa Joe, and a bunch of others if he wins. He gets to be in the main event at WrestleMania. Yeah, that, that'll be great. And I think he definitely will be in the main event of WrestleMania. But to circle back to my Orton thing, to finish the thought, it's not like I don't like Orton. I just didn't think this was his best promo. Oh. But it was a good promo. And everyone was hyping it up and stuff and saying it was so great. But I thought it was good, just not the best promo ever. Finally, let's uh, quickly hit on NXT as they're getting closer to uh, TakeOver Brooklyn. We've got uh, a women's fatal four-way set now. After Shayna Baszler laid out Shirai and Kyrie Sane and Bianca Belair, so that's going to be a fatal four-way to takeover. Should be good, but everybody's talking about the Ricochet Black DIY match, which was a great match. It was. And Ricochet and Black are going to advance and face uh, Forgotten Sons, which is kind of a surprise finalist, but they're starting to get a, a push with uh, the brother of Brandon Cutler, Steve Cutler, as we've talked about in the past. But everybody's talking about how the match ended as they went off the air and Johnny Gargano turned in the tables. That was so well done. The way he was like faking the leg injury and then Ciampa goes to hurt Gargano. Gargano's like, nope, I already got the leg up on you. No pun intended. <laughs> but it really did. It was awesome. And Candice was smiling evilly with him. Yeah. yeah. Just smiling over Ciampa. Like, Smug. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. But you, you do want to address a point about Candice. And it, it is... Kind of a point of discussion that pe more and more people are starting to notice. I saw a friend of mine on social media say this as well. He said, Candace is so good, but why is she only Johnny's wife? It's basically what she's doing on NXT. She's playing Johnny's wife. And I don't like that either. Yeah, she's had some good showings, but she doesn't have a main storyline that she's involved with right now in the women's division. I want to see her do some prominent stuff. She could be a champion, and I've talked about this before. I've talked about how I wish she would have been with AEW, had the timing worked out differently. But that would have been hard to happen anyway because I'm sure she wanted to be in the same company as her husband. But still, she would have been treasured. And I'm not saying that word lightly. She would have been treasured by AEW. They would have probably made her the first women's champion because that's how highly the Bucks have thought about her and have always loved working with her. They've said that many times. So to me, I don't know, it's just a shame. I loved her involvement in this, but let's see her do more and let's see her have some great matches because she can. She could face anybody, including men, which I love. She'll. Uh, I think she's going to get a push here. I think you're going to get another round of maybe promotions or something. Uh, and she she's already had a good match against Shayna Baszler 
on uh, NXT TV, so hopefully she will get that chance. Well, we're not done talking WWE. Coming up, we read your feedback on WWE as well as New Japan Cup as we once again turn over the show to you when we return on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. St. Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible, making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or smooth-drinking lawnmower, look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character, and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. So earlier this week, I put out on social media, what was your favorite match of the New Japan Cup so far? And I said I've been enjoying the tournament a lot, and I really, really loved, my favorite was Ishii versus Nagata. And I hold true to that, because at that point, when I tweeted this, we hadn't seen the last four matches that we've now watched. But even watching those, I really still love Ishii versus Nagata, because it was brutal. And man, Nagata had blood in his mouth when his eyes rolled backwards. Oh, that was so cool. That was a great visual. I probably would have agreed with you had we not watched uh, Night 6 and Osprey versus Archer. And I mentioned it earlier. I thought Lance Archer had a... It's funny because we joked about him not doing the water thing in the crowd. And I'm like, well, that kind of ruins him because it's one of the things he's known for. If he has matches like he had against Osprey, more singles matches, I think he's going to get a push because he was tremendous. Osprey, as always, was tremendous. We talked about the Stormbreaker from Osprey, so that is my match so far, Osprey versus Archer. That's a great pick, and that would be a close second, but again, I just, I love the brutality of Ishii versus Nagata, and that's almost with every Ishii match, but it was especially special because it was against a legend like Nagata, the Blue Justice. It was awesome. So let's go to your choices, our listener choices. So our good friend Luke at Bren123Luke said Goto versus Sonata. Good pick. Yep. One you lost on in the bracket. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I chose uh, wrong. At BC Mendoza said Naito versus Ibushi, which uh, I think most people were, were expecting to be the first, uh, the best match of the first round. And also Crazy Pete 315 also concurred on that, but then after that agreed with you on Ishii versus Nagata. Yeah, I mean, how could you not love that match? It was so good. Then we've got at Zach Shi 130. Fave New Japan Cup match, Suzuki versus Kujima. Was longer than Ishii versus Nagata. Like the brawl aspect of it. I was cracking up with the facials from Suzuki. If there was a non-Ibushi, Okada, and Tanahashi to win, this is the man. We don't know how much time is left in his body. He's over outside of Japan. Even if he won the New Japan Cup, then became champ briefly, I wouldn't whine. Neither would I. I love Suzuki. Next to Osprey, he's my favorite we would be thrilled with that and yes his facial expressions and his taunting in that match were so good yeah 
that was another favorite of mine. But again, I just, it's hard to pick one. It really is. But I, I'm going to stick with mine. Then we've got at Sir Weaselton. Colt versus Yanu is going to be comedic gold. But so far, it's got to be Abushi versus Naito. And last couple at Pat West 24, Saber versus Edel, Evil, Naito versus Ibushi, and Ishii versus Nagata. Oh, and Umino versus Tanahashi surprised me, much like it surprised all of us. Then at Crazy Pete 315 responded, I knew Umino versus Tana would be good. No way it couldn't be with who was involved. And he will be a future ace, I think. Definitely think. We will look back at this match in years to come and talk about how significant it is. And I like that point because what we saw of Shota certainly makes me believe that uh, he's going to get a push once he comes back from his excursion and all that. Yeah, again, that surprised me a lot. I agreed with Pete, and I think, man, years later we'll be saying that was the match that made us pay attention to this guy. Much like we talked about Jay White versus Osprey back in Ring of Honor in 2017, how that was the match that I was like, wow, I'm going to pay attention to Jay White. And now look where he is. I think the same thing we're going to be saying about Shota. All right, so then another uh, set of questions you put out there. If you could change one thing about the build leading into this year's WrestleMania, what would you change and why? Could be anything and so we got a uh, load of comments, and we'll start with at Mr. Bagshaw. The uncertainty in the weather that Pennsylvania Groundhog has a lot to answer for. I have no idea what clothing to pack right now. Hey, I've said this before. WWE is playing with fire with these outdoor shows. I said it in Orlando two years ago. You don't know what it's going to be like, you know, especially with the changing weather patterns. Who knows if a blizzard's going to walk, go through there in early April. Who knows? I would die. And and now they're putting one in Tampa in the spring. I just, I mean, just stick to domes. I, I There's nothing wrong with going to domes. What, do you really want your fans sitting in the rain? I don't know. <laughs> Apparently they don't mind. Apparently they don't care is, is the bigger thing. They know they're going to sell out regardless. But... That's yeah, I don't know what to pack either, Graham. I'm with you. I, I'm so confused. I get cold easy, so I'm like, I don't know what to do. Let's uh, continue with some more uh, answers. At Sober Wrestling, I would remove Shane McMahon from the card and find another match for Miz. You've talked about that in the past, that they got to stop relying on Shane McMahon. I just think that he's involved too prominently in matches. I don't mind him being in some storylines, being kind of like a backstage figure, but to have him a prominent guy in a match, I think you've got so many other wrestlers on the card, so many wrestlers that you've taken away from the non-WWE scene. Use them! There's people who deserve that spot, who could be featured, who could really benefit from the time, especially in a big program with The Miz. Who The Miz is somebody who's done very well the last few years in WWE, and working with him could elevate somebody who's lower on the card who doesn't get much TV time. Let's go back to a guy we just talked about a little while ago, Mustafa Ali. How, how big would it be for Mustafa Ali to go against Miz? At WrestleMania. And he would have gotten a pop if he went out against Miz. Right. Versus being randomly added instead of Kofi into that match. Right. Uh, go ahead with uh, the next one. At Baker underscore show, I take all the McMahon nonsense out of the equation. Let the performers do what they are paid to do. Constant recycling storylines where they are the center of attention is ridiculous and played out. Daniel is a great heel, so let him be the one and build with Kofi. Yeah, as I said, I love Daniel Bryan's hero character, and I think they should play that up. And they don't need this McMahon stuff. They don't need to be the heels. Daniel's doing it all, and he could be the sole guy, like Baker said. 
at Darth Tater 99, I would put Asuka in a better feud and give her more TV time. She needs someone that can talk and cover her inability to talk. She is good in short bursts. Well, two things there. I've said it a million times. Paul Heyman would be great with Asuka. We've said that <laughs> months and months, maybe even a year ago. Yeah. They would be a great pair. And she does need a good opponent. That's why I'd like to maybe see Nia Jax rotate over if Alexa Bliss seemingly can't wrestle. To me, Nia Jax has got to be the one that goes into that match. I'd love to see that. I mean, Asuka needs somebody prominent. So then we go to at Lucy underscore H underscore Lover. I just want that Triple H versus The Rock match that they teased several years ago. Batista versus Triple H might be good, but right now I don't really care. I'm liking the Batista stuff because it's been a long time since he's been around. And although he had all that spitting, I still <laughs> want to see the match. But I do want to see that Rock Triple H that they hinted at about four years ago. I'd like to see that as well. Do you want me to get some heat right now? Sure. I'm over The Rock, I man. Know you are. <laughs> I just feel like he keeps coming back to be in these little segments. And times have changed. I mean, Batista's at least a little more recent than The Rock in terms of the last time he's wrestled. The Rock has moved on. Let's move on as fans. But I understand you guys liking The Rock and wanting to see him. I'm just not a big fan of seeing that Triple H Rock match. You know, I'd, I'd rather see this Batista match. Or anybody versus Triple H, really. Uh, at Dave Pazewski, picking one is difficult, but I'll go with the booking of the Intercontinental Championship. It's become a hot potato between Lashley and Finn Balor, just as you were saying. These wrestlers deserve better, and this title that has such a long history deserves better as well. Remember when it was prestigious? We say this time and time again. New Japan Pro Wrestling has been way better at booking their IC title, at least since Nakamura's been champion a few years ago. It's been consistently well-booked since then. And even when Jericho won it and kind of went away for a while and didn't defend it, it still had prestige because Jericho's a huge name to hold it, and he did carry it with a certain air of confidence and like it had meaning to him he even talked about how meaningful it was to him so to me even though he didn't defend it for a long time I still think it held prestige and now we're seeing Naito with it and you know obviously he likes it of course he acts like he doesn't and he throws it around and stuff but he's a great IC champion and yeah I wish WWE took a took a hint from New Japan Pro Wrestling and booked it really well because it could be a great secondary title especially when They've had Brock as champ, and he's not around to defend. So why not, during that time, elevate your IC belt? But again, hopefully, another belt that could be elevated right now is Joe with the U.S. belt. Well, and part of the problem is you've got split brands, so you've got two ch main champions. So that drops Intercontinental and U.S. title down to third at prestigious-wise, so that doesn't help either. At SCWP514, End of the brand split. Boy, that led me into that perfectly. Uh, I know it's not going away soon, but the last Mania that felt like Mania was 31. Only nine matches, and the whole show flowed great. Now we've got 13 or 14 matches, too many extra titles. It's so bloated, and seven hours is much too much to ask anyone to sit through. And this will be a common theme in some of our answers that we got from people about the length of the show, and I understand that, but I kind of like the brand split. What I don't like is having multi-tag champs. I think that could easily be one set of tag champs that float between the brands. That would eliminate an extra set of titles right there, but I understand what he means, but uh, I kind of like the different brands because I think it makes SmackDown more relevant. 
Then we go to at SaintsFan51797J. Saintsfan51797J. I would fix the women's main event and make it a singles match between Becky and Ronda. The current triple threat story is too convoluted and makes no effing sense at all. Becky's suspended. No, she's not. Now she is. Now she's hurt. Becky has been completely cooled off. It's sad. Shaking my head. Now, you know, I agree with the convoluted storytelling. I don't like that. But I think... That wouldn't matter even if it was just Becky and Ronda or Becky, Ronda, and Charlotte. It was kind of alluded even before Charlotte got inserted in. So I think the whole injury angle and the McMahon angle should have never been added regardless of if it was a singles versus a triple threat. I agree, and we I think we're also in agreement that Charlotte deserves to be in it. Especially if it's the main for, event. For what she's done. Yeah. So, uh, at Zach Shy 130 I'll be original. The New Day still coming out with Pancakes Pith. They're crying for Kofi to be WWE champ, right? Let these dudes be serious without that gimmick. They're talented without it. And that is true. Uh, they are all really talented, but I don't see that gimmick going away anytime soon because it plays to the kids. and It sells merch, too. Yeah, it sells Lots a of ton merch. of merch. So. I'm sure they're one of the highest sellers on the WWE shop. But to go to his point... I don't like the pancakes bit. I'm fine with the gimmick and the fun and the colorfulness. I don't like the pancakes. The cereal was even better. There's just something about the pancakes I don't like. I don't like it. It never made sense to me. I agree. From at Why We Watch Pod, I'd split Mania into a two-day event rather than seven hours in one sitting. That's an interesting take. It is an interesting take, and like we said, people are saying that the length is just way too long, and it's funny Something that is being split into a two-day event is Wrestle Kingdom. Right. And I'm actually happy about that. Even though it'll be weird a little bit at first, I think it'll take some getting used to. But we were complaining how fast Wrestle Kingdom went by. And they're traditionally known for having longer matches that have time to breathe and nothing feeling rushed. I feel like this past year with Wrestle Kingdom 13, it felt the opposite. I felt like a lot of matches were very rushed, and I didn't like it. So they're splitting into two days, which I think will open it back up for some breathing room. But having WrestleMania do that, that would really affect all the promotions that surround WrestleMania. Now, that would be good for WWE because more money goes to them versus other promotions, but it would be terrible for the the weekend of festivities, at least for fans who like more than just WWE, who think of it as kind of like a big weekend of wrestling, not just a big weekend of WWE. Right, right. Uh, next one is from at Psycho Nigeria. Uh, no fast lane, especially after what they did. That pay-per-view is unnecessary. That's something we were saying uh, during the pay-per-view. T- having two pay-per-views between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania is too much. It really, really is. I thought it was unnecessary. Raj, the owner of Wrestling Inc., even said that as well, and we totally agree with him. Our next comment comes from at Michael C-H-A-U-T-V. I changed the whole random wraparounds with Becky and Kofi. Why all this random stuff? Becky winning the Rumble and Vince adding Charlotte because he thinks Becky can't get the job done is simple. Kofi winning a number one contenders match to face Daniel Bryan at Mania is simple. At Dan Chris Will, I would make Sammy not injured and be involved with WrestleMania. You didn't say it had to be possible. I wish that too, and he could return very soon actually because apparently... Just around Christmas time, he was on Talk as Jericho and said that he and Kevin Owens were kind of on the same recovery schedule. So we know Kevin Owens returned. I think Sammy could be pretty close behind. Might be in that Andre the Giant Memorial. Maybe, but is that really where I want to see him? I want to see him with a belt. I know I'm dreaming, but... I think you have him hit with his entrance music, though. I think that gives it a little pop. 
A big pop, I would hope. Yeah. So then we go onwards at D Smooth 210, the creative direction for Asuka and her championship reign. As we said, we totally agree. At that wrestle pod, this isn't really a change, but I'd love if Shelton with Heyman in his corner was Kurt's final opponent. The story is right there for them, and the win would elevate Shelton into a major player on Raw. That would be awesome, and their backgrounds in amateur wrestling would make it even more interesting. There'd be kind of like an ingrained story there. I like it. And yeah, it's not technically a change, but it's kind of like a wish for the build, and I'd love to see that. I wouldn't mind that being Kurt's final match, because I think it would be an interesting story, and it'd be putting a young guy over at the same time. And it kind of brings some things full circle and all that, too, so. Exactly. Well, I say young, younger. You know, (laughs) he's not, it's not his first time around the block in WWE, but still. At Old School Pants, the length of build. Eliminate the fast lane pay-per-view slot, giving an eight-week build to WrestleMania, so it feels like the absolute granddaddy of them all, like it's supposed to be. Yep, as we've heard from many people, lots of people agree, and I agree as well. Then at CP Buff 22 says, Ronda versus Becky one-on-one. Story would be they want to prove who is better. None of this other stuff. <laughs> uh, at PCH Nilbog, I would change the women's title match to a one-on-one between Becky and Ronda. Seems like a common theme. And let's make Charlotte the referee. Vince has already shown that the powers that B can make or break matches on a whim that would give us the Becca-Ronda match that we want. I really don't know why people are so against the triple threat. The storytelling's what's bad. I don't mind it being a triple threat. I know they want to see the singles match, but I really do believe Charlotte deserves to be in that spot, especially if it's the main event, as we said a few minutes ago. She's just done so much for the division, and she's been the top of the division. Not because of her dad, not because Vince is just high on her for no reason. She's got the wrestling skills and her mic skills. I'm going to get heat for this. I like her mic skills a lot better than Becky Lynch. Now, Becky's Twitter game is really good, but I think Charlotte's great on the mic. I think she might be the best woman on the mic in the WWE. At Chibi Halloween. Haven't been keeping up with the card, so I go with the only one I know of, and that's can we please stop with the triple threat title matches like the upcoming Rousey Lynch Flair. What little interest I had in it left as soon as they added a third person. Then she told us to keep the good work. Thanks, Chibs. At Mike underscore Arant, he agrees and says, Easily I would change the build to the Raw women's title. The build has been so contrived and convoluted, with Becky rapidly going from the unapologetic bad last to the beaten, battered, and begging to stay in the match. Charlotte getting randomly shoehorned in, because why not? And I said, well, you know, I just don't get the knee stuff. No, I won't get checked out by the doctor. Apologize? No, I won't apologize. Okay, I'll apologize. Well, you're su- you're suspended anyway. It's all very odd, I told him. Uh, they didn't need to do all that. It was all ready to go right from the beginning, and even if it was a triple threat, I don't think it would be a big deal. Just stop with the injury stuff. Mike said, right? I mean, you could still put Charlotte in a as a cover for Becky being injured, suspended, and off TV, then let Becky come back at Mania or the Raw before, or hell, even do the Fastlane match to get added back in. But let her be healthy, unapologetic, and kicking butt. I agree. And uh, finally, at Outlaw AK, the build is fine overall, but can we cut Mania back down to four hours? I mean, three was just right. Four was pushing it. But anything past there is death. You'll never get it back to four hours. I think they're going to keep making it longer, if anything, unfortunately. But, you know, being there, it's a lot of fun. It is draining, but I don't know. And I do want to circle back to a couple people said they they wanted to see Fastlane go away. I I 
saw somebody put on Twitter, and it's an excellent point. If we were in the days where there was no WWE Network and it was 50 bucks for a pay-per-view, would you have paid 50 bucks for a Fastlane? No way. No way. Well, I mean, I have said I kind of got away before the network came aboard. I was getting four or five pay-per-views a year. I wasn't plunking down the money for all these pay-per-views. So the network's the best thing that could have happened for, for these shows because I'll watch all of them. But yeah. I... I wouldn't have plunked down 50 bucks for a fast lane. Me neither. <laughs> and I would have been mad if I had. <laughs> so uh, thanks for all the input, folks. Uh, some great stuff and uh, good to interact with everybody once again and a lot of good commentary. Again, stay tuned and send in MP3s or MP4s of your answers next time and in your comments. We will play them on the show maybe. Yep, just got to email them. Yeah, you can email them either at superkickingit at gmail.com or twofacedpod at gmail.com. Either one will work. But now it's time to... Close out the show and send them home. Kelsey, what do you have? Well, I've got two things quickly. We'll be revisiting our Boy Meets World pop culture and wrestling segment, the Pop and Wrestling Connection. And there's a special reason why we're revisiting this, which we will reveal later. But it's essentially just a Boy Meets World question with a wrestling twist. And of course, it did have a little bit to do with wrestling because Big Van Vader guest starred on a few episodes. We'll get more into that as the weeks go by, but stay tuned to my Twitter, as I've been saying, because the question will be asked on there. Send in your MP3s, your MP4s, or just type in your answers, and we'll read them on the show. Then, I also want to shout out my favorite wrestling podcast, besides, you know, liking our own. I actually like other podcasts, like View from the Top Rope, and my other favorite is... The Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, which the name is a little Seinfeld reference, which we love Seinfeld, and it's hosted by Mike Crockett and Brian Malonis. And of course, Brian Malonis is from Ring of Honor's The Bouncers. He's a part of that group, along with Beer City Bruiser. Both wrestlers we got to talk to before Supercard of Honor. We both really like them. But if you want to get ready for Ring of Honor and their 17th anniversary show in Vegas, I would suggest checking out the WPAN, which is where you could find them on Twitter, you could check out their latest podcast episode in which they interview Carrie Silken. And it's so fascinating. I loved it. Especially this whole part where he talks about they were in Puerto Rico and these guys killed Bruiser Brody and they thought they were going to get killed. They're like, <laughs> they killed Bruiser Brody. Who are we? We're dead. <laughs> so that part cracked me up. You got to check it out. It's a fascinating interview. Carrie Silken is such a huge part of Ring of Honor's history. And if you don't know much about him, this interview is a great way to find out more. Again, check them out on Twitter at the WPAN. And of course, Kelsey is repping their shirt. You can't really see the bottom of the shirt it on YouTube. Says now you can, but it's kind of like the Seinfeld logo. And it says wrestling podcast about nothing. Yep. Much like Seinfeld was the TV show that was about nothing. Exactly. Love those guys. Please check them out. Uh, I'm going to close out the show with uh, also promoting something we've got coming up. Uh, Wednesday night of this week, we went to our local wrestling promotion, Wildcat Wrestling. Uh, it was in a new venue, which was kind of cool. It was part of a, a agave week uh, with the tequila and Modelo beer. Ooh, I mentioned another beer, I guess. <laughs> well, that was a different event. It's not like they were sponsoring <laughs> Lenny, us. Lenny, don't get mad at us at St. Arnold. We we didn't we didn't have any Modelo. No. no. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they held it at the Ace Hotel in downtown New Orleans, and it was a great little venue because it was almost a PWG like feeling because of the crowd level, not obviously to the insanity of PWG. Uh, they brought in some Lucha Libre wrestlers. Uh, we got to see somebody we talked about last week from MLW, Tarus. 
God, he was fantastic. That was one of the best matches of the night at our local show. He really, really delivered, and we enjoyed that match. Yep, and uh, members of uh, the Latin World Order. And uh, so, great show. And we're going to talk to uh, Luke Hawks, who is man behind Wildcat Wrestling. You may know him from his Twitter feuds with Cody Rhodes. Uh, but he's, he's a big part of uh, the wrestling scene in New Orleans. His son is a wrestler. Uh, he's, he's wrestled on Ring of Honor shows uh, at Supercard of Honor. He was on one of the early matches. And some of his wrestlers have been a part of WWE. You know, small parts, but we saw Johnny Flex, who's a member of Wildcat, on 205 Live not that long ago. Yeah, so uh, we're going to have that interview with him. We're going to conduct it from his wrestling school uh, this week, and we will air it next week. I'm so excited. He's a really fascinating guy, and he always speaks his mind. I think that makes him even more fascinating. He never holds back. He's kind of, sometimes he can be controversial, but I love that about him, and I can't wait to talk to him. We'll talk to him about how he helped with WrestleMania in New Orleans last year. He helped set up a lot of people and get them approved so they could have licenses to wrestle here because the Louisiana State Athletic Commission is a little different and a little more strict than in other states. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a whole bunch of interesting things, his acting career. I was going to say, he's an actor too. <laughs> yeah, he's been in a whole bunch of movies, including alongside The Rock in one film. I think he had a part in Logan. A bunch of other stuff too. So Luke Hawks from Wildcat Wrestling will be a part of our show next week and of course you have a funny story from uh the previous wildcat show that we went to at a uh, high school gym here in town yeah a couple of months ago and i'm going to tell a story because it says why wildcat is so fun it's it's a good way to give an example of how somebody could easily get into it so we know a lot of the local sports people especially because you're in sports there's a sports reporter who we both really like his name's jeff duncan and we saw him at the show, and we were surprised he was there. And he even looked kind of taken aback to be there. Like, he didn't know what to expect. And he told us it was his first time being at a wrestling show. He was there with a friend. And so he started off watching the show in the back, just standing, you know, kind of innocently out of the way, way far in the back. And as the show progressed, he starts moving up and up and up. And, I, and we're kind of observing this because we're moving around, too. And had... At the time of the main event, he moved up so far that he winds up in the first row, and he's snapping pictures. He looks like a kid at Christmas. So seeing somebody who is actually a sports guy, not really watched wrestling before, literally kind of go from being unsure to really getting into it by the end of the night, and he even told us afterwards, like, this is wild, man. Like, this is crazy. So that was one of my favorite experiences ever. So to me, that's an example. Uh, to any of our listeners whose friends – Maybe you are questioning, well, why, why go to a wrestling show? Just get them to go one time. And I think a lot of people, I, I use the same analogy with hockey because hockey's not a, a widespread sport in, in the American sports landscape, especially down here in the South. I tell people, you get to one hockey game, you'll be hooked. I, I got hooked. Yeah. I'm evidence And I think not everybody, but most people, if they go to a wrestling show, will have such a good time, they'll want to go again. Yeah, and Jeff Duncan, like, to me, watching him was one of the greatest things I ever did at a wrestling show <laughs> because it was so cool to see him get into it. it went, I didn't expect it either because he's such a serious sports guy, and it was just awesome. So that's just a testament to not only how great wrestling is as a whole, but how, you know, Wildcat's fun and entertaining too. It's, it's definitely evidence to that fact. Yes, it is. 
And we love it, of course, too. We do love <laughs> it. And we love you guys for taking your time and spending it with us by listening to us or viewing us if you're watching on YouTube. We thank you very much. It means so much to us because we know your time is valuable. We appreciate it. Hope to see you back here next week. Hope to have you listening to us then. And until then, take care. That's it for us. That's the finish. Bye.